And I think we get a bad rap because in those moments that you were just describing, Jesse, we're just like that bull in a china cabinet. We don't take those moments to think because we have such the urgency of, I know the, I know the solution. I got it. I know what we need to do. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and today we begin our journey through the gut triad. These are our eights, our nines, and our ones. I'm so sorry, ones, that you guys have had to wait until the very end. Yeah. Uh, but today, today we kick it off with the eight. The eight is commonly known as the powerful person. What are some other nicknames, Sam? Yeah, the challenger, the leader, the protector, the advocate, the provider, the entrepreneur, and the maverick. The maverick. Yeah, and the rock. And the rock, like Dwayne, the rock yes, that's, Johnson. Of course, that is he my is notes. probably an eight. Probably. Yeah. I just want to blow some stuff up, man. Like a nine would never have gotten the nickname The Rock, you know? like Yeah, probably not. Yeah. No. He had to have been like a three or an eight, I would say. Nines would be like rock candy. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, uh, about the eight. When I think of a healthy eight, a story that comes to mind, I have a friend, she's an eight, and she was a part of this church community that was predominantly white. And she began to look around the congregation and she noticed that many minorities, they just didn't really feel very welcome. And that the congregation was inadvertently, you know, really hurting a lot of the minority folks that were, were attending. And so she began to bring these issues up to the leadership of the church. And basically the church just really kind of felt like, you know, we don't really feel super well equipped to deal with this. And I don't really know that there's enough minorities in the congregation that we really need to make these changes. And she just would not let it go so easily. Uh, she she really felt compelled to continue to speak into it, to continue to bring it up. And that eventually helped, you know, organize like small group sessions where people were able to dialogue about race and she was able to advocate for the worship team to make some adjustments and, 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 and. But basically, this woman used all of her strength to help her church get more in line with the biblical vision for diversity. And as a result of that, eventually the floodgates kind of opened for this church to be on a journey towards being a multi-ethnic church. So that's what I think of when I think of a healthy eight. Let's talk a little bit about the resourceful eight. So these folks, these folks are strong. They are intense. They have a real, a real sense of their own strength, and as a result, they have a desire to, to stick up for the little guy, to take care of those that they see as vulnerable, as those that have less than they do, of those that are being overlooked. Let me just say this, like of all the personality types on the Enneagram, like we all run on 110, eights, y'all run on 220. At minimum. At minimum. Yeah. Like you guys just have so much energy. I remember one time I went on vacation with a uh, a friend of mine who, who's got a ton of this eight energy. 
And we get to this point in the day where we're all tired from our adventures all morning long. And his wife goes, I'm going to go relax. And so she goes onto the porch. She grabs a book. She reads a book. My wife says, I think I'm going to take a nap. She goes and she dozes off. I go and I lay down, you know, uh, somewhere else in the house. I look over and there's my buddy, you know, with all this aid energy. And he's like, I'm going to relax too. But instead he grabs a machete. (laughs) He walks over to this tree. (laughs) He Cuts limbs off the tree, and then he takes the machete and he carves the limbs all into fishing poles so that we can then go fishing that afternoon with these custom fishing poles that he sat there and carved. Gosh, yeah, that doesn't sound relaxing at all. That sounds more like a punishment. Like, that's so funny that for an eight, that's like, I have so much, I need to do this. Yeah. yeah, he's just like, he's like, yeah, that sounds fine. But they just have so much energy. They they just keep going and going. They just have that ability. Uh, these folks are, they're great leaders. They are confident. Even a healthy eight just hates lack of clarity. Eights want you to be very clear on where you stand and they want to do their best to be very clear in response. They don't like people beating around the bush. They don't want you to candy coat things. They they don't even really need a lot of details. They just really need like a bullet list and like, yep, got it. Cool. On to the next thing. And I think they're just going like 20,000 miles an hour. So you don't really need to belabor a point with an eight. Correct. Like just get to the point. Tell me how it is. Tell me the bottom line. Let's keep rolling. The other thing too that's worth saying is this, is that Eights are laser-focused personalities. Uh, So they take all their intensity and they drive it into one thing at a time. And they give their whole heart and their whole attention to it. Okay, so that's the healthy eight. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when the eight becomes non-resourceful. Yeah, so a non-resourceful eight has all of that energy, but it's at the expense of other people. So they become aggressive and domineering. They become insensitive and callous because they're great leaders and they are naturally drawn to leadership. And they sometimes even create a platform where there wasn't one before. They set themselves up around people who will always say yes to them and who they're Uh, They won't be questioned with their opinions. And so they enjoy being against other people. They enjoy arguing. They enjoy conflict and ruffling feathers for fun. Yes. I Okay, so I I had a boss one time who had a lot of non-resourceful eight. And he was making this decision that a lot of us on the staff just had concerns about. We didn't feel like it was the right direction for us to go. And so... I had tried like a bunch of different like diplomatic ways to talk to him about our concerns. They hadn't really gotten anywhere. So I decided I'm going to go meet with him and I decided I'm just going to like match this guy like energy for energy. So whatever he kind of puts towards me, I'm going to I'm going to mirror that back to him. I bring my concerns to my boss. He is unhappy that I'm challenging him. He's getting a little more frustrated. He's getting louder. But every time he would get louder, I would just get louder. And then he would become more forceful and I'd become more forceful. So we have this conversation. It goes on, you know, probably it was like 10 minutes, but it felt like an eternity. He ultimately changes his mind. But I had gotten so forceful in the course of the conversation, I felt like I'd been insubordinate. So I'm going to walk over to him. And uh, as I approach him, he stands up and he stretches and he goes, oh, yeah, that was fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. He totally That's... he enjoyed the the experience of the two of us screaming and arguing at each other. But you're getting at a good point which is that eights really respect the the energy matching thing. And so um in an unresourceful state they can look down upon people who don't seem to have as enough energy as they do or 
the right amount, you know, so they kind of see people um, on a ladder and it's really hard for them to see people as a peer if they if they sense weakness. So they sense weakness really acutely in other people. And it's they kind of put those people below them really yeah, quickly. Fully agree. Yeah. And eight smells fear like a shark smells blood. It's just part of the way that eights are made. And uh, and so it's really important that as people around an eight, you know, go through you know, insecurities or fears or hardships that even in the expression of those things to the eight, that there's even a sort of a confidence. I'm confidently expressing my lack of confidence. But but if the eight sort of feels that this other person is intimidated by them in any way, it's very challenging for an eight to see that person, you know, as a peer. Well, you know, I guess it's also worth saying, too, is that a lot of times the most common thing that is said when people are in a close relationship with a non-resourceful eight is what? Hey, I don't really feel heard by you. Yeah. 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 So it's they have so much energy and they become like that laser focus, like you're saying, and it's just all kind of coming at somebody like a fire hose. And it's really hard to feel like that they become so reactive and not really receptive to the people around them. And they're also counting their relationships and, and counting the odds against them and they become vengeful and they want to get even. It's all about you know, counting up the cost with other people. And I'm just trying to get even. I'm trying to get ahead. I'm trying to keep going, going, going. And that has really significant consequences with their close relationships and family members and kids and parents and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, every personality type has a wake up call. There's a moment at which God is inviting us to turn around. And if we find ourselves in this place, we can be certain that we are beginning to make decisions that are not from a healthy place, that are not from a good place, that are not from a place where we're being driven by the Holy Spirit, but we're being driven by our own uh, deep issues in life. And for the eight, the wake-up call is when eights feel that they must push and struggle to make things happen. So if you're an eight and you find that I have to push and struggle in order to make things happen— turn around. You are heading down the wrong path and you are beginning to make decisions from a place that is really unhealthy and dangerous. So in the gut triad, the struggle of folks in the gut triad is the issue of exaggerated guilt. And for folks in the gut triad, when this exaggerated guilt comes in, of course, it gives birth to a deadly sin. And for eights, this exaggerated guilt gives birth to the deadly sin of shamelessness shamelessness. And Sam, I always like how you frame this. Tell me something yeah, about that. Yeah, it's like a, it's the same kind of rooted word of boundlessness. So a lack of boundaries. There's just an ambiguity of where my energy ends and yours begins. They just have such big personalities that they just, they overtake and have really just a lack of, a, sh a lack of shame and a lack of boundaries. Yeah. There's a forcefulness by which to be in the presence of somebody who's got the shamelessness uh, going on that it's perfectly fine that uh, that they're overtaking the people around them, that there's no need for other people's opinions or other people's point of views, and that to be in their presence means you need to fully adopt their way of seeing and doing things. Uh, there's not really room for other methods and means and ways of being. And eights nurture this through anger and through perceived injustices, and sometimes even through real injustice. There might be a real injustice done to them, but this shamelessness comes in and it just becomes the excuse for, now I can do anything I want to do because this thing has been done against me. There's a, there's a real pleasure in triumphing over their enemies. They nurture it through resentment and revenge. And they nurture it as well through outrages and affronts. So that's the deadly sin. The deadly sin is shamelessness or boundlessness, a lack of even feeling the sense of, hey, I've done something wrong here. So Sam, tell me a little bit about how the eight 
defends themselves psychologically. Yeah, it's through a process called denial. So they deny that they did anything wrong in the first place, like you're saying. So that boundlessness kicks in and now everything is everyone else's fault, but there's a lack of ownership that they're willing to take. And so they begin to deny that they have any personal weaknesses or that they've messed up. And so denial leaves them without a clear picture of how they're really doing in life. So they have all that energy and it just gets externalized. And so they're really, it's really hard for an eight to be more reflective and and contemplative and really to take in where were my faults in that? How can I own up to some of those things? What weaknesses do I have? They have an aversion to weakness because as kids, they were around environments where it wasn't okay to be weak. They either had to take care of the kids because the parents had incapabilities in some way or they grew up too quickly kind of regardless of whatever the life story is there's you know they maybe would have were in a dangerous environment or just in an emotionally erratic household so age just really sense weaknesses in other people and so they try to overcompensate for that and as a result they deny their own weaknesses and deny their own faults and and really where the real harm comes of course is where this denial makes its way into into where they really are in their relationships you know i know married couples where one spouse is an 8 and you go to that spouse and you go hey how are you guys doing lately and they're like hey things are pretty good marriage is great you know my spouse is great and then you go to the other person and they're like I don't feel heard by this other person. I don't like this other person. You know, we're fighting all the time. You know, they're talking to, you know, their close friends about how miserable they are in the marriage. But the person who's the eight in the relationship is like, I don't know what their problem is. Things are great. And so that denial just seeps in and it really just breaks those relationships apart. Yeah, we say that eights are like a bear. Either they're a teddy bear or a grizzly bear. And I feel like eights have an energy like a bull in the china shop. We always kind of associate eights with that negative kind of reckless wrecking ball type. But that is how it feels to be close to an eight that has a lot of that non-resourceful stuff. They just take up so much space. Yeah, Miley Cyrus wrecking ball. That was their anthem. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) the anthem of the non-resourceful eight. So every personality type has an idol and the idol of the powerful person is control and power. But idols require sacrifices. And for the eight, they are tempted to sacrifice uh, closeness with people because when we're close to people, guess what they're going to figure out? They're going to figure out our weaknesses. And so for an eight, they have to sacrifice being close to people because that's the only way their weaknesses can never be discovered. The idol of control and power requires sacrificing fragile feelings or sharing fears because fragile feelings, those things are weak. I need to stomp those things out. And fears, I mean, I know some eights, if you even say you seem afraid, they will turn on you. They will become aggressive like a with challenge. you. It's like, I'll show you. I'm never afraid. I'm never afraid of yeah. anything. Yeah. And then finally, the idol of control and power requires sacrificing giving or experiencing tenderness or forgiveness because I don't need forgiveness. Why do I need forgiveness? I didn't do anything wrong. They're the ones who did something wrong. And tenderness sounds weak. And I am not a weak person. I am a strong person. So, Sam, tell me a little bit about how God transforms us. You know, God knows the the guilt that the eight is experiencing. He responds to that guilt with his forgiveness. Scripture tells us that as far as the east is from the west, that he's removed our transgressions from us. So he responds with his forgiveness. He takes our sins to the cross, casts them away from us. And because of that, what is it that he is inviting the eight into? What virtuous transformation? Yeah, he offers them mercy. You know, like you're saying that grace and mercy that he's offered us, they can now be merciful because of that. And mercy is not only just kindness and caring about the goodwill of others, but it's also having the desire to help. And so it's through a transformed posture of 
humility that spurs them onward to to show mercy, to bestow mercy. Yeah. And coming to a place where they they come to terms with the fact that they themselves have been wounded. They themselves have been hurt. And by getting in touch with those tender parts of who they are, it then allows them to have mercy on other people when other people are expressing those tender parts as well. Yeah. They go from a sense of being afraid of being controlled or betrayed or having revenge. They relinquish that fear and they're able to experience mercy. And like you're saying, just be able to live into, hey, I have weaknesses and it's okay. Like it's okay to suffer and it's okay, but I can't keep making it worse. I can't keep causing pain and suffering for my loved ones. Like I need to be honest with myself and honest with them and and put my guns down. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we will be talking with a woman that really embodies what it is to be an aide, to be an advocate, to care for those that are in need. We will be talking with Dr. Karen Hutchison. Please stay with us. Hey, Sam, do you remember how we first met? Uh, Yeah, you came to my college campus on Halloween night. That was the weirdest experience. I remember (laughs) watching a bunch of people like arms raised in worship, but they were like dressed as like Batman. Yeah, yeah, Superman. I was dressed as Lois Lane, so I had a Superman with me. Unto the Lord. (laughs) Well, okay, so I came to the school because I was recruiting people for Love Thy Neighborhood and you showed up. Yeah, and it worked. So I came the summer after I graduated, served for that summer, loved it so much, decided to stay on for the year. And that year completely changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you're between the ages of 18 and 30 and you're just trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do with the next summer or the next year of my life? Come, be a part of Love Thy Neighborhood. We have 18 different internship tracks that you can choose from. Yeah, this is a great opportunity to grow in your relational skills, your professional skills, but also just an opportunity for you to grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord and His people. So if you want to apply to be a part of this program, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org. While you're there, you can check out all of the different causes that we offer. Choose the ones that you are most passionate about, and then we will pair you up with an organization where you can make a real difference in real people's lives. You can serve with us for either a summer or a year. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Dr. Karen Hutchison. She's a trauma-informed licensed clinical psychologist. She specializes in the assessment and treatment of kids from hard places. Her work focuses on helping children and adolescents from foster care, international adoption, domestic adoption, as well as their forever families. Karen has served as a missionary in Uganda. She is an adoptive mother herself. She speaks regularly at national adoption conferences and provides clinical consultation and training in orphan care settings, both domestically and internationally. She's a clinical faculty member at Spalding University, and she is the host of Think Orphan, a podcast exploring orphan care around the world. So Karen, we are really glad to have you here with us. Thank you so much for having me. And as you did that laborious introduction, I'm sure people are already exhausted by hearing. <laughs> well, no, if, you, if you just didn't have so much impressed. energy and do so many things, you know, <laughs> if, if your thing was like, she helps a few people and then watches Netflix, then we'd be fine. But, you know, no, you got all impressive. that energy. And it totally makes sense that advocacy and foster care are some of the, the driving factors of how you, you operate in your career and just in your own personal story. I'm really glad that you're here. Thank so. you so much for having me. 
Yeah. So um, well, you just heard the overview of your type and, and what resonated with you as we were going. I saw that you were nodding on several, several things. So many things resonated with me. I think one of the most hilarious things that resonated was just hearing Jesse's story um, about a, a friend who was unable to relax or maybe their relaxing looked a little bit different than the other people in the room. If my husband were here, he would absolutely be pointing fingers and saying that is Karen <laughs> Energizer Bunny. My relaxing does not typically look like most people. Well, uh, eights are natural leaders. So you guys, you tend to be very clear and direct and energetic, hardworking. Um, how do you see eights leaning into these gifts? Yeah, I think there's a tendency to have a large amount of pressure that we place upon ourselves to do. And it, it just tends to be this, of course, I would do that. Or of course, I would say yes to that. Or of course, everyone should be able to do that. And so we tend to use a lot of should language. And from a clinical perspective, when we think of even that word should, it often leads us for ourselves feeling a lot of shame and guilt, which you guys talked about already. Mm -hmm. And then when we have those statements of should addressed towards other people, it leaves us feeling really frustrated. And so you can see how that plays out dynamically within relationships. And so as we're thinking about like, what does that look like? And how does this energy um, transform into healthy versus unhealthy relationships, then it's just super helpful to remember that everyone's different. It's not better. It's not worse. There's not necessarily a value that's placed upon that. Yeah, that's good. Um, you're already getting at like the mercy component that we were just talking about. Um, so back to like what you do for for a living, you know, advocacy and protecting the weak are high values of the eight. And really, it's the call for Christians to to stand up for the you know, stand up for the oppressed and the widows and orphans. And so what part of God's character do you see? Where do you see that that's present? And then how do you, what part of the character of God do these values show to the world? I think what that can look like in in a healthy perspective is it looks like consistency. It looks like stability. And we know that's true about uh, the Lord. We know that he's faithful, that he's all knowing and he's ever present. And hear me clearly, I'm not saying that's what I am, <laughs> but that as we um, can show that, especially for children who um, have difficult stories for, for kids who come from hard places. You heard Jesse kind of describe that a little bit. That just looks like kids who've experienced trauma. And that doesn't mean that a child has to come from foster care or adoption, but it means that some of these qualities that tend to resonate with AIDS, that it can be really helpful for kids to see consistency. It can, it can be helpful for kids to know that there is an intensity with which they're being cared for. And in those characteristics that, you know, that the Lord has, of faithfulness, of all being all-knowing, of of having goodness and showing children and teenagers and families that goodness. And of course, just compassion of being willing to even consider what does this child need? What does this family need? And wait, who's doing anything about it? Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's fascinating to listen to you talk because of how naturally and emphatically like you're like, hey, this is what we can do in order to help <laughs> these kids that are in need. And it really is like it's like baked into your DNA. It's just literally the way that you see the world. Well, what a lot of people don't realize, though, is that many eights carry a, a pretty deep fear of being betrayed, of being taken advantage of or being tricked by other people, uh, a sense that the world is a hostile place that's pushing against them all the time. You know, do you see this in yourself or do you see this in other eights? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that at, at the root of, of part of this is, you know, from a clinical perspective, it's it's this kind of drive within eights that we want to we want to act. 
And we don't think a lot about it. We just do and we act. And in that, there is either control in that or or there's a facade of control. And that's comfortable because at least someone's doing something. We're not waiting. And I think where the unhealthiness often comes in is when we're acting from selfishness or we're acting from those unhealthy perspectives. Um, But yes, absolutely. There is a deep rooted place within me that thankfully between my clinical training and the amount of people that have spoken into my life professionally as well as in ministry settings that my husband and I have been in and just people that love me well have been able to point out, you know what, Karen, I think there's some other stuff going on (laughs) under there. Um, And in that, I think not only is it like fear of embarrassment or fear of um, guilt and shame. But I think a big piece of it too is um, being out of control. And that's not a comfortable place for most people yeah. whose brain and hearts tick like an eight. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm encouraged that you even talk, like you use the word fear. And I say that because like that, that's a challenging word for eights to say out right. loud in reference to themselves. Yes. They're very comfortable using it in reference to others, but that is an incredibly unsettling word for an eight to use. Um, I remember one time that, you know, my wife was spending time with a friend uh, who was an eight and she made reference to something going on with that person. And she said, you seem afraid. And the disposition of that eight changed to one of aggression um, almost instantaneously because my wife dared to cross this line. Yeah. Does that resonate with you? Oh, yes, definitely. And again, like there's no part of me that is perfect relationally, but I think God in all of his wisdom and sovereignty and grace and hand upon my life through really difficult situations, but also really wonderful situations. For people that know pieces of my testimony, you'll hear me say often, my life literally rolls two standard deviations away from the norm. Some really awful bad stuff or some crazy, amazing, wonderful, good stuff tends to happen in my life. Um, And so through those experiences and through people speaking in, I just feel like God's been gracious enough to help me to understand how important relationships are. And if you were to like look at my Enneagram scores, I'm super duper high on eight, but I'm also really, really super duper high on two. And I think that relationship piece is just so wildly important um, of understanding where is someone coming from? Where is this person who is friend, who is coworker, who is family member? Um, It's that kind of pursuit on my end or other eights who are attempting to be healthy in their relationships. It's that pursuit of perspective taking. Where is this person coming from? What do I know to be true about this person? Is this person going to shame me? No, this person loves me. Is this person trying to hurt me or put me in a place where I'm scared? No, they're they're coming from a place of, of trying to, to help me and trying to help me to grow in who I am. And I'll tell you, like my first instinct is absolutely fight. If we're talking fight, fight, freeze, I am a fighter. And yeah. again, if my husband were in the room, he'd be like, yes, yo. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, I have, that kind of brings up my next point. I'm so curious to hear you talk a little bit about how you experience uh, your eight energy as a woman specifically. You know, I, I don't know for sure. I think that we could all kind of say like that women typically aren't, it's really hard for a woman to have that much energy and to be respected and not felt like, oh, you're overbearing or just do less of that. You're too much, you know? So can you talk a little bit about those messages? And and also, what would you say to a woman who is scared to step into that gift of right. of power? Yes. So um, okay. on, to clarify, like, are you saying like, okay, I just want to clarify because I want to make sure I understand the question. You saw me. I was question. about to jump. You saw me. I was yeah, about to jump. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Like, no, 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 I know. I know. I know. Okay. So I, I hear messages all the time. Like as a guy, I hear messages within the church of like, good godly women are meek and mild. 
and so then like you get to this eight type on the Enneagram and it's like, that's the, that's the less than feminine personality <laughs> one, you know? And there's other ones, you know, that are considered like, you know, those are the more feminine personalities. Those are the more masculine, but that seems ridiculous. Like you're Women asking get those messages too. Like, Oh, you have to do less. You have to be less, put that in a box, you know, let, you know, quiet that energy down because when we do, you know, when we do live into that, it's like men and women both don't really know what to do with it. And so I'm curious to hear from Karen how she's been able to, to maintain and, you know, manage that or have you has it been like well screw that i'm just gonna do whatever you know like i'm yeah. curious to kind of what was that journey like for you who has a core eight who has a lot of energy and a lot of drive how do you reckon with that yeah i like this question and um you know my, my husband was in ministry and he was in ministry for about 15 years so layer on top of everything you've heard from sam and jesse already i was also a pastor's wife for about 10 years and so there's a lot of expectations placed upon me in that setting as well um, our family we used to live overseas and when we moved back to america I actually was meeting with someone who was um, providing me with a lot of mental health care and spiritual health care and when i told this person that we were considering moving back to louisville he's an enneagram coach as well and he said karen our are you sure that you want to move to that part of the country? <laughs> Are you sure that you, being you, wants to potentially start a business and be a business owner in the hub of evangelical Christianity? And my answer was yes. That's where we want to land. That's where God's calling us to. So, because the subtext is, you're not women in. in that part of the country. Good Christian women shouldn't yeah. be like that. You're not going to fit in. Yeah. Right? So, I guess short answers are yeah. It's been it's been a really hard long road for me. And I'm still learning what that looks like. There has been a ton of shame and guilt. Um, and I would say even embarrassment associated with some words that I think were said to me in an unhealthy or an unhelpful way. And I'm growing in that. And I've learned through that over the past decade or so. But it, it's hard. It it's not what people expect. And um, again, you heard me say like the two standard deviations away from the norm is where I typically roll. And I would say too that people who know me, they either really love me or they really hate me. And oftentimes I tend to scare men a lot. Um, men who may have have held or be holding some really rigid ideas of what a biblical Jesus-loving woman should be. And so I like to step in that with as much grace as possible. And I've learned a lot in the past three years that we've been back in America and I've been practicing here, uh, clinically working with families. I've learned what does that look like for me to just kind of press back and, and be who I am, but also not in a uh, a roar. I'm a lion. I'm going to rip your head off type of way. But hey, this is who I am. And I do love Jesus. And um, I am a scientist and I am a business owner and I'm a mom and I'm a wife um, and I love Jesus. And so when I get to speak, I often when I introduce myself and tell a little bit about myself, especially after I say I'm a business owner and a psychologist, I always say, and I love Jesus. I love Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's so good. Um, the other part of your question I want to answer real quick. What would I say to women? I would say press in, get people in your life um, to speak in and, and to help you to understand the gifts that God has given you, um, the, the gifts of direct speech and communication, the energy that you do have, the ideas, and the ability to kind of follow through with those ideas in words and in actions. And so I would strongly encourage young women to um, find other women that have similar gifts and go grab coffee, try and get them to speak in and ask them if they have time to, to mentor you, find someone that can kind of see you in a way that maybe some people haven't been able to see before. That's good. That's so good. 
Okay, so one of the most common things that I hear people say when eights are in an unhealthy space is that those around them feel unheard because it's almost like eights can only hear their instinct and their instinct is really powerful in that moment. I mean, do you ever hear other people say like, I don't really feel heard by the eights in my life? Yes, definitely. Yes. Um, I can speak to that just being, you know, I haven't always been kind of just a business owner. I've been a part of organizations and staff and on staff with ministries. Yes, I've heard that. I've heard that in my life. I've had um, people who love me, who are very close with me say, like have kind of the strength and the tenacity to say, um, I don't think you're hearing me or I don't feel heard or it's hard to talk with you. Um, And those are moments that are hard. Um, for both parties or multiple parties involved. But again, I think it's that willingness to let someone speak into your life. And that is a hard thing to do when your heart and your mind work in these ways. Because if I'm willing and if I'm going to allow someone to speak into my life, that means I also have to be vulnerable enough to say, oh, I might need someone to speak into my life. And so, again, it's that vulnerability. It's that willingness to ask for help and and to let people to speak in when even you haven't asked for it. Yeah. So what I hear you say is that there's there's almost like for me, who's not an eight, I would love to hear maybe a bit about what is going on in your mind whenever you those emotions get so big when you do feel like there's an affront like that fight instinct. Can you elaborate a little bit just for those who maybe aren't eights to help to help us help you in that way? Yeah. I mean, if I'm straight up honest with you, it's uh, you're crazy. Uh, what are you thinking? <laughs> right? like, uh, I think you're the wrong one. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But it's it is, again, that constant just trying to be humble and trying to help your heart and mind think about, all right, where is this person coming from? I love this person. This person loves me. This is a good friend. This is a wonderful family member. This is my husband. (laughs) Um, Where's this coming from? And um, what is this highlighting that I'm not seeing? And what blind spot is there? And so again, I am not perfect in relationships at all. So that first instinct is you're crazy. (laughs) Right. Um, But then hopefully some of the healthier coping strategies and communication strategies and relationship strategies start to come out. And I can take a couple of seconds and calm my emotional brain down, start to take that perspective of where's this person coming from? And is it possible there's a small, slight possibility that there could be some truth in that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a core four on the Enneagram mm-hmm. and there's a lot of relationship between the four and the eight because mm-hmm. bo- we're both, we both sort of the emotion and the moment just becomes so big that it's hard for us. And I fully resonate with what you're saying. The idea of like, I need to pause for a second yes. here. I need to like let all the crazy inside me subside for a moment. I need to not make any big decisions. I need to sleep on it or I need just to take them. I need to go get to a place where I'm quiet enough where I can hear counsel or I can hear from the Lord. So I fully resonate with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just becomes, I I, I said this as we were getting ready to record eights, like a lot of times, you know, we just get such a bad rap. We get a bad rap. And I think we get a bad rap because in those moments that you were just describing, Jesse, we're just like that bull in a China cabinet. We don't take those moments to think because we have such the urgency of, I know the, I know the solution. I got it. I know what we need to do. Um, And in that, when there's an unhealthiness and it's an unresourceful response, um, that's when we hurt people. And 
It yeah. can be really painful. Yeah, yeah. And and gay doesn't necessarily mean to. It's just no. it's just that instinct of, you know, it just feels so big, you know? Mm-hmm. And and it feels in the moment, man, it feels so right. Yeah, they externalize. Like we say that like whenever ones get angry, it becomes very targeted like a fire hose, but when eights get angry, it becomes like a grenade. It's just like whatever is happened to be in that moment at the time is what's gonna feel the the effect and the reverberation of of that emotion. Yeah. Well, this is great. Okay, so uh, when we come back, we'll be playing Personality TV with Dr. Karen Hutchison. Stay with us. On today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring Type 8, the powerful. Healthy 8s tend to use their power to care for folks who are most vulnerable. They love to use their energy to speak up for folks and those that are in need. Our guest Karen Hutchison lives into her eight by being an advocate for foster care. If you want to learn more about being involved in foster care, listen to our other show, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And check out episode number 15, where the gospel meets foster care. Yeah, put me in a foster home, dummy. These are kids that have been, like, abused. 75% of the people I knew, like, told me I should give them back. I remember sizing them up. I'm like, man, I can take them. He was throwing stuff. He was punching at us. There's a difference between the ideal and the real, and this is what's really happening right now. So subscribe now wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Just search Love Thy Neighborhood or head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. Welcome back to the IndiaCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now, Personality TV. Okay, so today's game is called Personality TV. We have a list of TV shows, and it's your all's job to determine which of the characters on that TV show is a type 8. Easy enough, right? Okay, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Yes. Okay, got it. And we get a point, right, if we get it correct? There may be some points. Yeah, so here's the here's the thing. <laughs> I need to know <laughs> how to win that. this. That wasn't me. Yeah. I need to know how to win this game. Okay, so what will happen is I'll name the TV show. I'll give you guys a little bit of time to, to think through and deliberate. And then on the count of three, guess at the same time, the character. And if you all get the same person, then you get a point. Okay. So, you guys ready for number one? Yes. Yes. Parks and Recreation. Do you have your character? I got it. And I got it in my head. Okay. Wow. Um, Jesse? I, uh, okay. Okay. I'm going to do mine. Okay. I've got it. One, two, three. Donna. Donna. (gasps) Boom. (laughs) Boom. Okay. Why Donna? Why Donna? She's just like in your face. She's got to have her stuff the way she's got to have it. She expects that to be um, what others are doing as well. She she knows who she is and what she wants. She speaks her mind yes. and sometimes not in a helpful way, but she is Very going true. to say it. It's subtle, though. Like sometimes like her eye, like she says everything she needs to with just like her facial expressions. But yeah, I would have I would have picked Donna, too. And I love, too, that she becomes completely disinterested if she thinks it's just ridiculous. Yeah, whatever's going on. on. She's yeah. like, I'm done. I'm moving on to the next yep. thing. Yep. Okay. Number two, The Office. Okay. My dilemma is this. I, I think there's kind of almost two, but I'm, I'm going to go with one of them. I'm going to go with one. Cast up. Um, I'm curious. I can't think of one right off the top of my I think it, if there is one, I'm thinking of like secondary characters. Yes. Oh, I, what's the lady's name? Who did Michael date? The blonde? Okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Do you know her name? Yep. What is it? It's Jan. Jan. Okay. okay. But, but, on the count of three. But don't tell anybody. Until, until <laughs> All it's right. time. All right. You guys ready? 
One, Ready. two, three. Jan. Jan. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> How'd that happen? <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, she's yeah. she's clear. She's direct. Yes. She's a leader. She's also abrasive. She, but let me, she becomes increasingly unhealthy and bizarre yes. as the series goes on. So she clearly yeah. doesn't have good friends around her. Yeah. Jan, you need some friends. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So you all have two points so far? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yes. pretty well. All right. Show number three, Stranger Things. Uh, okay. Okay. I'm just going to go for it. Okay. okay. One, two, three. Hopper. Mike? Oh, Mike. I was going to say the mom. The mom is crazy. Do you know what I almost said? This is a bad joke. I almost said Demogorgon. <laughs> I love that your response, Sam, was the mom is crazy. She must be an angel. No, she's so crazy protective of her kid. She will stop at nothing. That she's is true. She's rallying true. the whole city to that crush her true. son. Actually, that's a good She's a point. huge advocate for yes. her. For, advocate. And nobody else is understanding Sam, her. you get a point. Yes. I get a point. <laughs> All right, wrap it up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm not even going to ask why you guys said the other ones because you were both wrong. It's the mom. I think the Demogorgon's a non-resourceful age. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, Seinfeld. Oh, I totally, totally, I know this one. All right, you ready? I know it, but I don't know if it's going to be the same. Okay, one, two, three. Peterman? Frank Costanza. Oh, yes. <laughs> but Peterman's close. No, Peterman would be good, too. Yeah, I think that both of those guys. Yeah, so no... Frank Costanza... Completely speaks his mind oh, yeah. all the time. Says straight up what he thinks. I don't know that he has the mercy side down at all. Not very yet. much. Not yeah. Yet. No, that's a great point though. He has some great examples of that. I'm thinking of the one where Elaine is going to get a pedicure or a manicure, and she takes him with her to the salon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah, Sam, okay, so your assignment good. as a young millennial is to go watch episodes of Seinfeld yes. to decide. I think that was season four. Yeah. Okay. I not will... that I watch that show a lot. Okay. I'll you go back will and do not. Research don't you, don't you, <laughs> to determine whether that will point not. will count. <laughs> That's called a nine maneuver. <laughs> yeah. Telling us she's going to be doing do nothing. later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next one, 30 Rock. Ooh. Okay. Hold on. This one's going to take me a second. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. It's not going to take me any time. I totally know who I think. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. One, two, three. Jack. Jack? <laughs> totally through and through. Yes. And yeah. I'm not Is even sure. Baldwin? I can't decide yes. okay. if it's a caricature of Alec Baldwin or, it's, really or it's just Alec Baldwin. Right. Like that That guy and his one-liners are just incredible. Yes. Yes. I'm sure they weren't scripted, you know, half the time. Yeah, that's yeah what, I bet yeah. a lot of it was improv. That's funny. And, you know, for comedy's sake, like he's really, really non-resourceful because... A healthy age doesn't make for good comedy, but he like is willing to do terrible things all episode long, and then always at the very last minute he makes the right moral judgment. Like, and so yeah, it's pretty it's pretty good. All right, uh, next show Gilmore Girls. Oh my gosh, Gilmore Girls! I don't know. Don't lie. You watch. Can you them take all. a lifeline and call your wife? Dude, she would be on this so fast. I bet if I did call her, she'd be like. Oh, so-and-so's an eight. Like, she wouldn't even hesitate. Karen's ready. I'm ready. Okay, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm right. just going to go for it. One, two, three. Lorelai's mom? Oh, Lorelai's mom. I thought she, I would think of her as a one. She's like very, this is Justice the protocol. Man. This is how things are supposed to be in society. Yeah, like, that's a good I, point. I think of her more. Um, the other one I was thinking of, I mean, I don't watch the show. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> um, yeah, there was some secondary character that I was, anyway, I don't know. I don't know this show well enough. Never mind. That's okay. All right. Let the record show. I don't watch Gilmore Girls. <laughs> we all know the truth. We know the truth, yes. 
All right. Uh, next show, New Girl. Oh, I know this one. Yeah. You good? Yeah. All right. One, two, three. Coach. Coach? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, we were talking about it earlier. He just like moved away. Like uh-huh. couldn't deal like, with. I'm done with you people. Yeah. He got like his own sitcom. <laughs> it like didn't take off. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to Wayne's family. Oh, um, but uh, yeah, the, the episode actually, I thought where it really showed up, he goes on a date with... What's what? Cece. He goes on a date with Cece. Yeah. And he's like, the whole time he's like trying to act like he has it together and everything is good and he feels super confident and he's like a total train wreck inside. Yes. And he yes. finally lets her into that reality that and then they start their real date. Yeah. Yes. But up until that, like he was just like, yeah, girl, I got you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the time funny. that he tries to be people's personal trainers and he just yells at them until they <laughs> cry. <laughs> it wasn't that that made you think that he might be an eight. <laughs> oh yeah. There's that too. There's that too. Yeah. That part. Sorry. Sorry, I'm a four. I connected with the vulnerability segment. Right, right, yeah. right. I just connected to the someone making me do exercise that I just wanted to <laughs> as a nine. Um, okay, so for this rendition of personality TV, we threw in one movie just for fun. So the movie, The Incredibles. Every day of the week and twice on Sunday, I know my answer. All right. All right, one, two, three. Elastigirl? Mr. Incredible. What? <laughs> Karen said Elastigirl. You said oh. Mr. Incredible. Okay, Mr. Incredible. He's like doesn't want to have, like he's like strong, bold, straightforward, shoot straight. Like Mr. St- I mean, his name is Mr. Incredible. That's true, but a right. girl is in it to win it too, and she's definitely compassionate and wanting to take care of the kids, and she's the one that makes stuff happen. Is that the wife? Yes. Mm. I think she's a two that goes to eight when she's like. All right, that's tricky. angry. That's that's that that'd be my that's my you submission. You know point. more about this. I'll let you go with that one. You might no be wrong, half Jesse. a point. You can't give. So wait, what are our <laughs> point, what, what five, we get? Five points. Um, so you have a total of five, four and a half points. We tried. We tried. We tried. Um, it was fun. Yeah, it was. It was a good time. It yes. was a good time. All right. So Karen, we ask every guest that comes on the show five final questions. So let's do that now. Question one, what actress would play you in a movie? Oh, Julianne Moore. Ooh. Oh, she would play you in a movie. It yeah. would be a dream come true, yes. She's one of the first people that I saw from, um, I guess, like, uh, whether it's like a movie or television. I was like, oh, that person kind of looks like me. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you guys bear a resemblance. But also, she's got, like, she's a leader, man. She is a yeah, she's got yeah, she she's, can play she's strong, strong characters. Yeah. yeah. That's a good answer. Uh, number two, if we had a phone that could call your 21-year-old self... What would you say to them? Sleep more. Don't work as much. Take a year off. Yeah, that's good. All right. Question three. How can friends and loved ones affirm someone with your personality type? I would say just be willing to press in. Even if you don't think we're going to listen, be willing to press in. And in that willingness to speak truth, that, that in of itself is affirmation. Number four, how does the good news of God's forgiveness heal your deadly sin of shamelessness? Ooh, so deep and theological, Jesse. Yeah, I think that the cross is the answer of it all, of it's not me. uh, It's not what I can do. It's not what I have done. It's not what I will do. It is um, the justification that I get, that we get through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Um, And that's a constant and and wonderful reminder for someone whose heart and mind 
works and functions in a way of action, of doing, of I've got to do something. And um, the gospel says, stop, Karen, you don't have to do anything. All right. Last question. What scripture verse do you hold dear as it relates to your personality? Yeah, I would say that even kind of on the the heels of of that previous question, um, Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's good. Well, thank you, Karen, for being with us today. Thank you guys so much for having me. What an honor. It was so much fun. Thank you. Yeah, it is fun. We'll have to play again sometime and try to redeem ourselves. Yes, maybe just with movies. Maybe we could Okay, do yeah, with personnel and movies. We'll work <laughs> on the title. The yeah. marketing is a little weak on that one. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try to fix that. <laughs> Thank you to our special guest today, Dr. Karen Hutchison. If you'd like to learn more about Karen's work or if you're in need of counseling services for your family, please visit her website at adoption.doctor. Again, that's adoption.doctor or just Google the Center for Family Connections. And don't forget to head over to subscribe to the Think Orphan podcast. Also, thank you to Crosspoint Ministry that trained us in the Enneagram. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their fantastic retreats, visit crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by a Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Surf for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself and Sam Stevenson. Engineering and editing by Janelle Dawkins with Justice Smith. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.